Hey, Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Ken. Great to be here. So tell us who Aaron Shelley is. You, you sent in a little bio, and I could read over that, but I always like hearing it directly from the person who's on the podcast. Since you're here with us, give us a little bit of your background and how you came to be who you are today. All right. Um, well, I grew up in, in Utah, you know, great outdoorsy stuff. And I always, I always loved the outdoors. I also loved athletics, did a lot of sports teams like that. Went through high school, didn't love it, but did well. Um, ended up getting, going into college, went to college for mechanical engineering, got a little bit frustrated when I was working as a junior mechanical engineer while I was still in school. Cause I realized, you know, a great engineer doesn't control his destiny if they have bad business people. So then I kind of got real interested in business. <clears throat> so instead of going and just getting a job as an engineer, I moved to an MBA, did an MBA in a mechanical engineering master's. I didn't finish the master's, but I finished the MBA. And then I kind of just started working. And I mean, I, I guess I worked a little different in that I, my wife had a business, an Irish dance, and we were the only Irish dance school in Utah at the time. And I thought I could go to Ooh. Intel and... You know, up in Portland, I had some options there. Some of my friends had gone to Snyder Logistics in Michigan, those type of places. But I had read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, if you're familiar with that one. I haven't read it myself, but I've heard a lot of people talk about it. Yeah, well, the, yeah, the big, the big thing was you want assets, not liabilities. And a lot of people, you know, they get a job and then they immediately buy a big house, which is kind of a liability. It doesn't generate money. So right. my wife... And I decided together that we were going to build this Irish dance business. And so we started there and I didn't have a job, but we bought a house with a place behind it that we could do a studio uh, for the dancing, fix that up, which was a little challenging. I was out of work for about 18 months on that wow. out of the, out of three years trying to like <laughs> bouncing between jobs. It's kind of hard when you, you know, find a place to live and then get a job. Yeah. So but, but it was, you know, it was rough. There were points that were rough. And then, but I kind of learned my wife and I together could do some cool things. Ultimately, we got that, that school up to about 150, 200 kids at one point. Now we're still in that, wow. that range. So it's pretty big. But then I kind of was like, well, I have the school. Like my wife was mostly working it. And so I started to work at a company called Ancestry.com. If you've heard of that one. Most people have. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. If these days, how can you not have heard of them? <laughs> yep. I, it was a little earlier. They hadn't IPO'd yet. So I had some good experience. Then I left and went to a company that did IPO. Not a IPO. They were doing a startup or after Ancestry's IPO. And that startup, we spent $11 million in three years and failed. So that was kind of a frustration. But because of some of the experience I'd had, my wife and I decided to pay off all of our debt. So I was kind of in this spot where I got to choose what I want to do which is both good and bad, I think, <laughs> you know, so I ended up be. doing some, <laughs> yep. I ended up doing some research with a guy at BYU, a university about family and business. And he was looking at entrepreneurship levels um, and how those are related to family structures. So I did some research for him and then I kind of wrote up my theory. I said, Hey, I think this book would be better if you use this theory. And he said, no, that's your book. So I ended up, writing most of that. Then I went to a company that did, you know, uh, roofing kind of roofing SaaS company where we supported roofers called okay. job Nimbus. 
and did that for a few years. We took some uh, venture capital or some private equity. And then since on, since then I've moved on and then I finally got the book published. So it's kind of a long journey, but that's how I ended up getting this book published. And, and that's kind of also where the book came from was this weird mix of me doing research and family while also doing business stuff and <laughs> noticing the overlap there. Yeah. So that's quite the wide range of experience there with uh, all, all the different things. I mean, it's, it's interesting how a lot of the people I talk to that have reached a certain level of success have a wide range of experience. Like a lot, most times they're not somebody that gets into one thing and, and goes through that through their whole career. Like 50, 70 years ago, you know, you saw a lot of people that they were company men. They, they got in and they stuck through that or with that throughout their whole career, ended up retiring on that. And that's okay to a certain extent, but it seems like a lot of the people that I talk to that have reached a level of success that, that I'm shooting for try out different things. They, they're not stuck on one thing. Do you, is that been something that's key for you in, in your life? I think so. I think when, like with my Irish dance business, I really learned about the fundamentals of all business, right? I was doing the marketing, mm. the sales, the engineering, the, the websites, working with my wife on events, you know, she did most of the teaching. And so that kind of gave me this holistic picture of business. And I had the MBA, but then I was, you know, going through these other places, these bigger companies and smaller companies, you realize, I think you, you develop some confidence in yourself and your ability to do things and learn because you have so many times when you've gone through that process. And then you're like, well, I did that and I was successful and I did that and I did that. And so when you kind of get to a point where you can kind of exploit all of your uh, skills simultaneously, that's where you kind of see big returns, but it's never like, well, I did this one thing and it just worked out perfectly. You know, it's, right. you know, before we, we got on, we were talking a little bit about how you're doing construction and real estate. And it's the same thing. You buy one house, then maybe that starts cash flowing a little, and then you, you get another one. And then 10 or 15 years later, you're like, I got 10, then in 20 years, you know, this is the flywheel effect that I talk about um, in the family, you see that in businesses too. It took Walmart 20 years to build that first biz first thousand stores, but then it took them one year between 2011, 2012, they built over a thousand stores in one year. So this is the flywheel effect we see, I think in our lives, but in, in, in business where it's your skills are kind of exponentially, it's kind of compounding interest against all of your investments. So I think it's good, you know, to be in a lot of different areas where you can get compounding relationships, compounding money, compounding, you know, skills, those type of things. That's really, I think, a key to a good business model, as I call it. Yeah, definitely. You've mentioned your book a couple of times. The title of that is that how to create your family flywheel. Well, it's or it's called the family flywheel. The family uh, flywheel. Okay. The secret business principles successful families use to create sustained wealth and happiness. Gotcha. So it. That came out of you said all your research on families and business with the with the guy from BYU. You in the book, I think you talk about a fundamental family system that govern governs all families. Go into that a little bit. What what is that? How, tell us a little more. <laughs> yeah. So if we look at, I kind of have this diagram in the book where it talks about you have this business model 
in the middle. So if you think about any business, if you're a contractor, let's say your business is I build homes, I you know, I, I, t- I make some profit off that. I spend my time and my skills to do that. That's my business model. And, or maybe I do remodels, right? So that's, that's how you're going to make money. And there's a certain culture that's going to go along with that, right? If you're mm-hmm. doing building homes, you have to have the culture of hard work, figuring stuff out. The pipes never fit. The wiring, <laughs> you know, wiring's always weird. There's always things you're working through problems. And so you have to have a specific culture to be a successful contractor right? It can't be someone who's like, well, it's a little cold outside or it's raining or it's uncomfortable. That's not going to work, right? It doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. So you have this culture that your strategy is I'm going to turn homes and and build homes, but then your culture has also got to be, well, what type of person's doing that? And if you're weak in terms of, well, I don't want to do things that are uncomfortable or I can't figure things out or I don't like to learn new things, you're just not going to be successful. So there's, that's the two components of your business model. And then your final one's really your structure, right? Like what, how are we going to organize this? If you're in a, a Google, right, we're going to hire a lot of smart people. They're going to have a lot of response or freedom. If you're at Walmart, that structure is we're going to have a lot, a lot of top-down leadership and a lot of controls. So there's, there's kind of this three pieces that I call the business model. And that's what the decisions are, are made. You know, like what should we prioritize? That's really what the business model tells you to prioritize. If your strategy is to buy homes, cool, go buy some, you know, how are you going to get there? And so in the center of this is your business model. And then based on the actions you take, you decided to go buy a home and then, okay, now you have a home as one of your financial resources, right? But you could have decided to take out an ad in a newspaper and then maybe people call you. Now you have social resources, or you could have said, I'm going to take that money and I'm going to go to college to get a different degree so I can be a computer programmer, right? That's really where your business model determines what resources you're trying to invest for. And if you make right. you know, bad choices, like I'm going to sit and watch Netflix all day, well, that's going to result in a waste of your time, <laughs> like a loss of time. <laughs> so, so as I see it, there's kind of this, and you see this in business as well. You have a business model. It uses all the resources, whether they're financial, social, or human to take actions. If those actions are good, then you'll get more resources. Maybe you'll, you'll, you'll make an iPhone, you'll sell a ton of them. Then you'll take that money and now you're going to hire more people. And then you'll take that, which will give you more abilities and skills. And then you're going to take that money and you're going to make more ads, right? This is where you get into this cyclical effect the of flywheel, yeah. this flywheel where you're just like, man, and then you'll, well, now I got all these relationships. Well, now these relationships, wow, they, they want to invest in you because they've seen that you can do good things. Now you'll, now you have more access to money. Now you have more access to skills and people to recruit. And then you see companies like, you know, Apple or Google. And you're like, there is so much money they have. There's so many relationships. They have this brand. And then they have all these skills from everyone working there. That's going to just keep kicking off money because everyone's trying to push that flywheel forward. Right. And so, so that's really where I look at the business side. Now, if you look at a family, if you're looking at it and saying, well, what choices am I going to make? I'm going to buy homes. That's, or I'm going to do construction. Cool. Now, what are you going to do with the money you made? Well, now I'm going to put it into real estate. Oh, now I have more money from my real estate and I can still do more construction right now. Oh, I sell that property. Now I can be a 1031 debt, right? Now I can get into a bigger property. Now I have more money. Now maybe I don't need to do as much construction, right? So you see these flywheel effects and you see it with wealthy people. 
if you prove to banks that you can handle money well, you're going to have access to so much money. If you mm. prove to your friends that you're good, they're going to want to come work with you, right? So, so this is where you see it in your career and with your family. It's the same thing. Like you're investing for, you're going to do the construction job, but if you're married, well, what is your wife going to do? Is she going to, you know, take care of the kids? Is she going to take care of the house? Is she also going to, you know, work outside the home to get money? Is she going to invest in service in your community to develop social relationships? Like that's where you see this. Like, I don't think people have looked at the family in that same respect. Like I go to work for money, but my wife may go to work at the school for service so that we have social connections that then can right. help our children. Hmm. And, and that's where some of that's where the culture aspect on, on those three elements come in at. Yeah. Well, if you say so the biggest problem you see in families or the ones that I see is when you have a, you have some issue in your business model that's out of alignment, right? So if you're like, I'm a contractor, I've seen this, I'm going to buy a crappy, crappy house. I'm going to fix it up, stay in it for two years. So I have my taxes. I don't have to pay taxes on the gains, <laughs> right? This is the right. game. And then I'm going to move into another, then I'm going to sell it and move into another crappy house, right? That, that may be good if you're single, but if you're a wife, if you have a wife and three kids, your wife <laughs> might get like, that. you know, she might be like, okay, I, I'm good at doing that for a time or two. But man, we've been married for 10 years. I don't want to live in a piece of crap house again. Yeah. Right. So this is, this is kind of where you see in yourself, if you have a good business model where your culture, like if you're, like you say, your contractor, your culture and your strategy are aligned and your structure are aligned in terms of how you're choosing to live, that works. But if your spouse and if, if your spouse's business model and your business model aren't cohesive, like if she's like, well, you're going to do construction and I'm going to run a, I'm going to be a lawyer. And you're like, well, we're not going to have time to interact, but how are we going to have a relationship? Both of us are right. just doing this and the house is going to be a disaster. That's where you see alignment issues within the family. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. So where, where does a family start when, when looking to create a family business, you don't see a whole lot of those. And so it doesn't seem like there's too many examples out there. Where's a good place to start to build, to, to create the strategy form the structure and then build that solid culture. Is there, is there a good step-by-step -step to that? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you look at it, it's a little bit, if you kind of looked at each individual, we all have our own business model, right? Before we get married, we have this, here's how I'm going to live. Here's how I'm going to make money. And hopefully I'm going to attract a spouse so that I then have, you know, a, a wife. So there's that piece that you're always, everyone has a business model. It doesn't matter if you no, you'd have one or not. You have your culture, you have your beliefs, you have your values, you have rituals, those things we already have in our lives. So even if we think, oh, I don't have a business model. No, you do. You just don't know it, know how to break it right. down. And so if you're looking to build it, like if you're saying, if you were, if, if you were looking to get married, for instance, I know you're already married, but let's say you're a 19 year old guy or something. And you're like, Hey, I want to get married. And you're like, I want to be a, con a construction worker. I want to be a contractor, then real estate, this type of stuff. It would be quite bad if you were to marry a woman who was like, well, I want like a white collar spouse. I want to be a homemaker. <laughs> you know, I don't want to move. I want to have a great house from the time we get married. Right. I've seen that happen where you have women who come from, you know, wealthier backgrounds and they have very high expectations for their lifestyle. And so part of it's like in the selection process up front. Right. right. 
just like in a just like in a business, if you and I were going into business and you said, "Well, we're going to go in. I'm, let's do a law business, and we'll both be lawyers. Well, who's going to do any of the the other stuff, the marketing, the office work?" Or if I said, "Hey, we're going to do a construction business, but both of us are going to be contract." Well, who's going to take care of all the paperwork? You kind of need a complement to yourself in a business, and it's the same in a family, right? If your wife's going to work full time and you're going to work full time, there's not a lot of family that's made outside of that. It's kind of like your ship's passing in the night. So a lot of it's like, if your wife said, well, I want to be a stay at home mom and here's what I want to do. I want to invest in the community, have tight social connections. That's great. And then you say, well, I want to be a contractor and do this. Oh, sweet. These two business models will work together. Gotcha. And and you could also say, you know, you're like, I'm going to work my butt off as a contractor. I've done some of that work. It's hard. So, so you look at that and say, is what I'm doing, if I'm going to work my butt off and then you come home and your wife's like, Hey, now you need to clean the house too, because I was busy watching Oprah. You know, you're going to be like, <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah, I don't is, think so. <laughs> you're, you're like, if I'm working my, if I'm contributing for this business, you should, for the family, you should too. And that's where you see a lot of the women that I've seen have, and my, my mom's a perfect example. She did a lot of service in the community, in our religious group. So then when I got married, I had all these people at my wedding who were giving me presents. And I'm like, I don't even know you. Why are you here? But they were all like, well, we love your mom. She helped my son get his Eagle Scout or she helped us when we had a problem and a sickness. She helped us. And I was like, oh, so you're not here for me. You're here for my mom. You're like paying her back. And then there were so many people. I'm like, and they're like, how can we help you? Do you need a job? Where are you going to work as? You know, all those connections, I think we've diminished in society because we can't we can't say like, oh, you've made, you know, your value of your connections is $100,000. Right. And we can say, well, but I have a job that gives me $100,000. I must be better. But then when push comes to shove and your kid's sick or your kid has a problem and then your wife reaches out and says, hey, I've got this friend who can help with our kids. You're like, freak. Like, how much was that worth? Yeah. Right. It's mentioning that it. it... It's so true having those connections passed on from the parents. Where I grew up, where I lived for the first about 30 years of my life, like had I had those connections that my dad had built up since I was a kid on up. And I, and I knew some of those people having met them going with him in the construction field. But once I reached 21 years old, started my own business, I could call dad and be like, hey, who do I need to call for this? And I could have more work. I could have the connection for vehicle maintenance, for all of that. So I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it being part of that family flywheel that you mentioned. But that makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah. Well, this is the interesting thing is I hear a lot of people say, I want to be rich. But they don't say, I want to generate a lot of wealth. Right. If you look at McDonald's, if I said, Hey, here's a McDonald's, I won't tell you how it runs. I won't tell you anything about it, but I'm going to give you this McDonald's. That's like, I'm giving you the resources. I'm giving you the building, the name, the brand, but you don't know how to freaking use it. Right. Right. So without the business model is actually the engine that generated the wealth. Right. So if I don't teach you the engine, but I give you, I mean, there's an example in my book where this This woman's dad died and she was given $20 million when she was 18, right? And you think like, oh, that's that's awesome. Who doesn't want $20 million? The sad (laughs) thing, right? Yeah. But the sad thing is she went, she's on her fourth or fifth marriage, right? 
she's bought and sold businesses and hurt businesses because she doesn't know mm-hmm. what she's doing with the resources. Right. And and you actually see this in cases a lot of times when people, wealthy people focus so much on their work. I'm a, I'm a good lawyer. I'm a good doctor. And they invest and invest. And then their kids are having mental health issues or their kids are having trouble at schools or kids aren't disciplined, get in trouble with the law. You know, you look at this and you're like, was it worth it? Right. If you're only investing for those financial resources, you're going to lose out on the relationships that I call the social resources, as well as teaching your kids your business model. You know, and then you're yeah. like, I don't know what's wrong with my kid. He he won't. He just sits and plays video games or he won't do anything. And you're going, <laughs> well, is that a function of what you were able to teach him? Right. <laughs> like it sounds like you got probably were on the site with your dad doing yeah. the jobs. From five years old, <laughs> you know, it's, it's incredible. The difference in how people parent their kids. I, I have not had the opportunity at this point to, to have my own kids to, to father, to mentor and to raise up, to be functioning adults. But I can, I can observe the difference in kids with the different parents. I see the, the guy that I was talking to just minutes before you and I jumped on the call, he's been in real estate for for years and he said his one son bought his first house at seven years old (laughs) so he (laughs) bought the house with his well no he said not with my money like he he obviously probably had some private investors he didn't go into all that but he said it wasn't my money that bought the house for him wow he he went through all the training and all of that and it's it's incredible how much kids can grasp because most seven-year-olds I know they they can't even keep their own room clean much less manage real estate (laughs) obviously his dad was was there helping him along on that but he was leading it like he he'd come to his dad for advice and all those things so but I, I love the family model it's super interesting and and I love seeing the the complexities of it and how it can for good done the right way. But you've mentioned something that I want to I want to pull at a little bit. You talked about resources quite a few times and you mentioned financial resources and we talked about relationships. Are there what are the other different types of resources that that come into the family flywheel? Well, I, I and they're very similar in business. So financial resources, I actually break into three categories, you know, money, liquid assets, that type of thing, tools, and then property. And that includes Mm. physical property, you know, legal documents, that type of stuff. So those I all consider financial uh, resources. Then you have social resources. That would be your one-on-one relationships, you know, like you're and your dad, that relationship. But then also group relationships. If you were part of a religious group or or a sports team or those type of things, that's also a group relationship. And then finally, you have the... Um, the reputation is kind of a point. It's your your dad, I'm assuming, had a reputation in the community as a contractor. He had built that over right. years, so people trusted him. So that's kind of the last piece of the financial or of the social resources. And then the last resource class I have is called human resources, and that's your abilities and your skills, those type of things, your health and your time. And I think, and that's the collective, you know, if there's five people in your business or if there's just two of you in your family or you have kids, that's the collective abilities, time and health. So 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Those three resource classes? It does. Yeah. So what's, what's the synergy then between those resources and the different career types? Like, because as, as varying as those resources are, each career can't fully utilize those resources to the, to the best of, or to the fullest extent. Is there a synergy that goes, goes along there, certain resources to certain career types? Um, re- yes. Well, it depends on if you're trying to get there, right? If you're trying to become a doctor, you need money or a source of money. You also need a culture with delayed gratification in it because this is a nine-year trip of spending money, spending time, hoping that you get out the other side, you know, yeah. doing whatever it takes, long hours. So there's cultural elements that need to be aligned with the career choice. But then it's to your point, like if you if you don't have the resources or the discipline to, to become a doctor or the culture, then oh, I'm going to go become a doctor. You're going to drop out. You're going to get into debt. So there's definitely some um, careers that require certain resources. The one, so the careers I kind of break up into like white collar jobs, you know, that require a college career, blue collar jobs, which I think are very underrated in society and man, they make good money. Yeah. (laughs) Right. There's a lot of people, (laughs) a lot of people don't want to do the hard work anymore. And then you get into the military, right? In the military, you don't really need money. You don't really read resources. You know, as long as you haven't, you know, gone to prison or have too many kids, you can get into the military usually. And then, and then, then you have the entrepreneur, which is a different career path. And then I actually have some weird ones for people. There's the homemaker, which I think is a career that some people choose. It's not usually very good on its own. You need to link it with another (laughs) one. Yeah. And then the final one I talk about is kind of unemployed or crime, right? Those are well, if I'm unemployed and the government will give me money, then I can stay doing nothing and they'll keep giving me money, right? Or if I'm not making enough, then I can go into crime, which is the same. It has the same flywheel effect, except for you don't really get it started because you're like, you know, if crime, if I get caught, my whole flywheel comes to a screeching halt and I lose everything. Yep. You know, so so there's a, those are kind of the ways I break them down. So, yeah, you do need specific resources if you're going white collar. You need, I think, blue collar, you really we've talked about, you got to have the right culture. You know, it's never fun. You hurt yourselves. There's physical demands. I've done that work, right? It's, you have to have the right culture. You're just not going to get there. So, so that's kind of how I break it. But yeah, you do need, it's, it's mostly like entrepreneurship. I actually think, and you've talked a little bit about doing some of that stuff. That's a hard one because you need money. You also need relationships. You also are trying to build skills and figure it out as you go. Right. And you also have this, like, <laughs> it's not like you're getting paid most of the time. You're like, well, frick, I'm not making money. So there's this, the entrepreneurship sense to be pretty taxing because unlike a doctor, there's no, you know, if you get this doctor degree, great, you win, you know, you make money. Right. But as an entrepreneur, you're like, I don't know, maybe this will be done in a month or a year or two or, ooh. I got to go pull the money out of thin air somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you got to go. Well, usually it's borrowing it from relations or you're living with your parents in your parents' home while you do that. You know, like that's kind of the, the value of families is when you have a family. And if you just look at, well, I have my family. Well, no, you have your extended family. You pointed it out. Like you're, I mean, you're a resource for your dad. I don't know if he's called you up and said, hey, I'm behind or I got hurt. Hey, can you come clean up a job or can you do this finishing work? 
right? There's, there's those relationships that can exist too. So yeah. extended family, that's really where those social connections can be super beneficial. Yeah, it, it is. Those connections are very beneficial. We've, um, we've since moved to a different community and mm-hmm. having to rebuild all those connections is not the easiest thing. Like the place where we live now, I didn't know a soul when I moved here. So it, it's been been a lot more challenging than I thought it would be to to try to build the the social capital up to to where you know I'm able to sustain myself. Have plenty of work now, but it, it takes a lot of a lot of work building that up, and the goodwill goes a long way. <laughs> well, really yeah, and that's and that's one of the things that I don't think most people. That's why I kind of wrote as well as I wrote the book is when you. Let's say I have an op, I live in my community and then I have this opportunity to go make 10,000 more dollars somewhere else. I think most people are, well, we're making more money. Why would we not do it? But they're not saying, well, I got $50,000 of social connections I'm giving up. Yeah. To do this. And so you'll often see people will move and they'll sever a lot of those social connections, not because everyone's like, okay, you're dead to us. It's just, I don't see you anymore. You're too far away. I can't help you like I used to be able to. Right. So that's the stuff that I yeah, see. Especially where, like I moved eight hours away. So. <laughs> Go ahead. Yep. Yeah. So, so that's what I've seen. I have a sister who moved like, I think six or six or eight hours away as well. And I run yeah. an Irish dance school. If she lived close by, Hey, bring your kids. I don't care. I can help you out. But since she lives far away, I'm not going to say like, well, I'm going to pay for your kids to go to a, what? Like it doesn't make sense. <laughs> that right, wouldn't make exactly. as much sense. So I think we've undervalued those social relationships. And I don't think we realize a lot of people will move, you know, oh, okay, I moved. I got a $10,000 raise. Now my wife is depressed. And now my family, they're, they're not doing as well in school. And it's like, yeah, because you just severed all that social connectedness. And then a lot of times you have women who they're like, have some mental health issues, which really like loneliness, separation, disconnection. So it's, it's like, well, we need to invest now in social relationships, just like we invested in your job or in a career, or whatever. Now we need to spend five, 10 hours a week, inviting people over going to religious group or a sports group or some community. We need to actively, you know, like in your case, if you're like, oh, I need to build up these real estate and these other connections. Great. Are you going to groups? You know, that type of stuff where you're like, I have to do this. It doesn't, it's hard to quantify as like money, but you can feel like when you're like, well, I could call my dad, but oh no, I can't, I could do this. I know the (laughs) guy over here, but so that's the thing where I think we've undervalued it. And I think historically the homemaker and the home, like women who stayed home, they were the ones who would do all the service and invest in all those social relationships. And now with women going, hey, I'm going to go to work. Well, who's investing in our social relationships now? Right? don't have it. (laughs) Well, and and then you see like our communities are a little bit, we don't feel like we have the same amount of community. We don't feel like we have the same togetherness. Well, no one's investing in each other. We're all trying to like, well, we'll all go remote and work at home and, you know, play video games or watch movies at night. Well, it's no wonder that we have no connection. Right. Right. That's that connection is probably from what I've observed, one of the one of the biggest, I guess, the biggest boost to happiness in life, to mental health. And I don't know, probably one of the hardest to to build. I didn't realize 
how how I knew I was going to be losing a lot when I moved away. I didn't realize how hard it was to, or really impossible to replace connections that I'd had since I was a child. Like, cause I, I grew up with those connections. And so it's, it's something completely different than starting when you're 30, trying to make all new connections. And it's, it's not easy for sure. Well, well, and that, but, that's one of the, there was some interesting research I saw where they said men bond under stress. You know, like playing with on sports teams, trying to do stuff, working on jobs together, figuring stuff out, like competing against each other. That's how we bond. And you look at us, you know, as once we get older, we just, we don't have the same opportunities often to, you know, spend time competing, playing with other guys, playing with friends. I mean, my good friends, I give so much crap to, you know, you're like, you know them so well, you know how to push the buttons and, right. oh, you remember that time we did this? And they're like, oh, freak. But it's like, that's <laughs> the, con- that up. <laughs> yeah, but that's what makes you feel connected. And then you get into an environment where you haven't done or invested in those other people and they don't have those relationships. And then you're like, well, it just, it feels different. I can't put my finger. That's where it's the social connectedness. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that I found too, it, like when I was going to college, I lived alone. I lived with six other guys or five other guys, right? In an apartment. We never really talked much. Cool. My wife, before we got married, she lived in an apartment with three other girls. You know, they'd come home and talk and bake cookies and <laughs> download their days and all this stuff. And we'd maybe the guys would like play video games together, stuff like that. There'd be about 10 words said between the six of you. <laughs> yes, but we would kill each other or fight. You know, we would do that type of stuff, which we like to bond around. Well, when we got married, all of a sudden she was pulled out. We, we lived in a different area. She's pulled out of living with those four women. I'm pulled out from living with five guys. And then she's like, she comes home every day and expects to download the same way she did with the other, those three girls. And I'm like, dude, this is a lot of words. Like I got stuff. I, gotta, <laughs> I don't know. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Like a fire hose to the face. <laughs> yeah. But what, and, it's, and so part of it was like, she didn't, she lost all those connections. You know, and all the single girls were, hey, we got to go and try to find guys and that type of stuff. Well, that's not what I want her to do. So a lot of those activities became weird. And so my wife and I spent the next, I mean, we had, we were in a a, kind of a religious group. I mean, it was a college, but we had kind of a ward as we call it. And so we invited a hundred couples over that next year over to our homes, like three, you know, three every week. And wow. it would just be like, we'd go play Frisbee golf or we'd go do these things. And some of them you're like, dude, I'd never talk to that guy again, you know, or I'd be like, dude, I didn't get along with him. But my wife's like, she was awesome. And we, that was the investment in our community. And after that, we felt so connected. We knew everyone. My wife would go to activities, dance concerts and stuff with her friends. I sometimes would go, but I was like, I don't want to go to them all. Right. So it was that social investment in other people, inviting them over and whatnot that helped us get through that. And that's what I think a lot of times the first year of marriage is pretty rough because you're like, what's wrong with you? I don't, why don't you talk to me? And you're like, I don't know. I just don't have that need. So <laughs> I said my 12 words for the day. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And I already said them at work or I said, them right. somewhere else. <laughs> I guess you're out of luck. <laughs> now, that doesn't help the relationship a whole lot. I ask me how I know. <laughs> Uh, it seems to be very common from what I've heard. Yeah, unfortunately. Let's get back to talking about the family flywheel. So when, once you've got that going, you've got that rolling, 
and you, you've made some of those investments, you're starting to build that wealth up through the flywheel continually and constantly moving the way they do. How does one pass that wealth on to their kids? Because, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about how people don't raise their kids to handle that wealth, right? Oftentimes it comes from wealthy parents neglecting their kids and not teaching and training them how to handle it. How do you pass that on to them while still teaching them how to handle that Mm -hmm. responsibly, I guess? Well, that's kind of the interesting thing is it's like the resources, right? Those are really the last things you want to pass on. It's really the business model. And it sounds to me like your dad did a good job. You know, he taught you the culture of being a contractor. I mean, I'd be surprised if you don't have some sayings about crap hitting the fan or whatever, you know, (laughs) there's just things that he would always say, this happened. Uh, Right. So he passed on the culture. Then he passed on the strategy. He taught you, here's what you do. Here's how a contractor works. He gave you the abilities, helped you learn those abilities. And then he also helped you with structures. I don't know if he, you know, I don't know what your, your parents, did they stay married? How did they treat each other? All those type of things. He was kind of showing you, here's, here's a successful business model. And it sounds to me like he passed on good chunks of those, if not most of the important parts of it. So if, you know, if right now, if he were to pass away, and, and he was like, well, I got these houses and I got this. You'd be like, yep, I know what to do with it all. Because he already passed on the important thing, which was the business model. He sounds like he connected you with his social connections, which is, which is a type of wealth, right? right. Sounds like he, he gave you the skills, which is a type of wealth. He probably trained you how to be healthy, trained you how to spend your time. And then the last piece is really, well, now here's the money. And so, you know, you know what to do with money, right? You know how a contractor uses it to generate more money. Yeah. So, so the, uh, the first thing that comes is that, that business model. And then once you get the wealth, that just, it expands on who you've already become as a person. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. It's just, it's just like the example I talked about with Walmart, you know how to use the resources. Now you have more resources. Now you can use them more efficiently instead of buying one house Oh, I'm going to buy five. I'm going to buy 10. Right. And then I'm, or I'm going to buy a multi-unit. You start to, that's where you start to see this, this building effect. But if you had a bad business model and your dad passes away and he's like, Hey, here's $200,000 or half a million dollars. And you're like, sweet drugs and girls, you know, like (laughs) because your business model sucks, all the resources will disappear usually within a generation or two. Yeah. So you see that often. Yeah. And that's kind of the sad thing too, is, it's, it's sad, you know, we talk about trust fund babies and they don't really what it's like. They, they never learned how to spend their time. They never learned a good business model. And so it's sad to see them when they don't, they don't know the, they don't know the feeling of getting a, well, a job well done of working on something. And then at the end of the day being like, like, I can't imagine the feeling you're going to have when you finish your house. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like, That's I, gonna be great. <laughs> I, I, I effing did that, man. That's, yeah. that is freaking me. Like yep. every piece, I, I know it. That's my thing. I feel that sense of accomplishment and you made it. Smash my hammer on that board <laughs> or my finger on that. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> and, you and, your, and you and your wife have worked together. It sounds like to yeah. get into a spot where you can build the house that you want to build the type of things that you want. So at the end of it, it's really like you and your wife have built that house together and you're both like, this is the output. This is one of the things that we have done as our family. So 
that's the type of stuff. And then if you, you know, you do that well, if you're not like, well, we got to live in a mansion, then all you suck all your resources dry. But if you're like, we live in a nice place, but I want to still have money for investing so that I can be financially free. Right. Mm -hmm. That type of stuff generates, that's the flywheel effect where you're, you're generating the resources, you're doing them. And then the other piece that I think a lot of people look at is sounds like you and your wife, once you get this house done, you're going to have a tighter relationship. It's going to be some friction. You know, she'll be telling you things she doesn't want. You'll tell her things you don't want. Yep. But that happens. (laughs) Well, and that's, it's good that we have difference of opinions. It'd be really boring if my wife agreed with me all the time. Right. Right? (laughs) Uh, It would, it sure would. So that's where you, you know, going through these things, it's not only like you're making a big investment in your, you know, the home, but you're also making this investment in your relationship and you're both making it together. So at the end, you're like, look what we have accomplished. And that's where, you know, that whole thing. At one point, my wife, there was, you know, the real estate market in 2007, there was, it kind of dropped and we had made an investment right before that. And we ended up about $350,000 in debt. And we were just like, this sucks. And I'm like, I want to take risks, but I can't do it if we have all this debt. And our house needed some repairs, whatever. Not big repairs, just, you know, nice things to have. But my wife said, we just want to, my wife and I said, we want to get out of debt. So we spent the next six, seven years getting rid of all the debt, just paying it all down. I don't think we had air conditioning in our house. We had a swamp cooler, right? It was just like living as fast as, you know, our priority was debt. And going through that experience brought our relationship closer. So I I sometimes think people don't realize you can invest in your home like you're going to do building it, but you're also investing in your relationship with your wife in that same activity. And that's something I call super investing where you're kind of, I'm doing an activity, but I'm getting multiple resource type returns. Right. Gotcha. That that makes sense. And it it seems like when couples can go through hard times pulling together rather than one person expecting the other one to do the pulling and there's blaming going on when that, when they're working towards that goal together, that goes a long way towards, you know, reducing any friction that, that tends to build up in a marriage. I mean, I, I don't care who you are. You can be mother Teresa and Andy, the two of the, you know, people that we put up on pedestals, they're going to have frictions in a marriage if they get together because <laughs> they're two different people. So when you can pull together, it helps reduce the the arguments, the, you know, you'll still have those, but you start to realize that you're both on the same team and well, that that's a huge plus. Well, yeah. And that's one of the big parts of the strategy that I talk about. A big part is, a, is the career, but the bigger part is really, what do you think your mission and purpose is, right? What are you trying to do? If you're sitting here like, our goal is to build this type of a family. We want to contribute massively in society. Well, then when when you have questions about, well, should we go on five cruises this year or 10 cruises? You're like, how is this going towards our mission and goal? <laughs> right? And I think there's there's a lot of people who don't really have a purpose. And so the lack of purpose ends up giving them, they feel dissatisfied with their job. I mean, you do an exceptionally hard job as a contractor. You're, you're literally putting the, you know, roofs over people's heads. It's not fun, but it's like, if you're like, I'm here and here's my purpose, then you're sitting there at the end of the day going, I feel good about myself because I've lived my values and my purpose. Yeah. 
right? And that to me is when I feel fulfilled spiritually as well, because your mission and purpose is usually attached to some level of spirituality. And I see people who are like, I just hate my job and I wish I didn't have to do it. And then I ask them like, well, what would you do if you didn't have a job? Well, I don't know. Well, <laughs> the problem isn't your job. I mean, I've cleaned toilets, washed dishes, done all sorts of crappy jobs, but they were aligned with my purpose. And therefore at the end of the day, I'd be like, I washed my hands. Yep. Was it great? No, but it moved me towards my goals. Right. I feel good. And so yeah. I think a lot of people have neglected what is your purpose and then they're just working and life without purpose is pretty meaningless. Yeah. It's, I didn't think we would get, go into that talking about purpose, but whenever, whenever I do with somebody, I always have to ask them how they define purpose. For, I look at purpose and kind of the mission is what responsibility are you willing to take on in life? Right. It's, mm -hmm. That's really what your mission or purpose is. What are you here on the earth for, right? What is it that at the end, like there's so many things that we can complain about. There's poor people that are suffering in all areas. There's, you know, there's so many things that could be fixed. Well, what is your niche, your little area that you're going to take responsibility for? Gotcha. Right. I like and, that. It, and if you're willing to do, if you're like, this is my thing. I mean, like, look at Elon Musk. I love him. He's an engineer, so he's. I'm an engineer, therefore it's like he's the sexiest guy. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and his and his purpose is getting humanity to Mars, right? And I've heard him talk, like with other people, have talked and said, whenever he's making a decision, it's it's will it get us to Mars faster or slower? If it's slower, boom. If it's faster, we say, you know, like that's a very nice place to be where you know what your goals are and what your objectives are. But if you're just like, well, we could go on a vacation or we could buy a new home or we could, how do those get you closer to a purpose? Do you have it? So it's not something that one, somebody can define for you. It's something that you have to look at because I haven't seen any purpose that's worth a comp worth doing that isn't hard. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they all are, <laughs> but, but a, uh, a worthwhile purpose keeps you it helps you get up in the morning i mean it's it's the thing that keeps you driving to live life to make the impact to go do the hard work the sucky work the cleaning the toilets it's that's that's definitely what keeps you going one thing that i ask of all of my guests is to i i ask them a question that is something they like to talk about but aren't asked about too many times. And in your guest application, you talk about two business models that nobody likes but inadvertently support. Go into that a little bit. Yeah, so those are the ones I talked about a little bit, that crime and unemployed, right? We want to help the poor people, and so then we give them money, but then they learn, if I do nothing, then I get money. Right. Just like if your kids, you give them an allowance. It's a business model. Right. If we had a business, if we did the same thing in business world, you know, I have a crappy business and no one likes my hamburgers because they're crappy. They're raw and I'm losing money every every month. And then if if the government came and said, hey, we're going to pay you ten thousand dollars because you run this crappy business. Right. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to be like, can I, can I expand the number of stores I have and get $20,000 for running two poor businesses? <laughs> right. But we kind of do that with the unemployed 
or sometimes, you know, single parents where we kind of say, this is okay. And we'll keep paying you for doing things that we actually don't really love. In some cases, we actually have stipulations. Well, you're a single parent. If you get married, then you lose that status and we lose, give you less money. Seems really bizarre. It's like, keep running the business in a way that they probably don't want to. And the government doesn't want to, but we keep running it that way. Yeah. You're, you're more rewarded for staying single and having more babies versus getting into a stable situation. Mm -hmm. And so that's, so that's one of those business models where you're like, why are you doing this? We would never do this in business and that we do it all the time in, in our personal stuff. It's more like, how do I get you to a successful business and what are the steps? And then the other one I talk about is crime, right? Well, if I'm on a, if I'm on the street and I don't have a better business model, I'm just going to go steal. And then if I get caught, worst case scenario, I go to jail or prison. I get four, I get meals, I get education, I get entertainment. <laughs> like that's not a bad way to live. If my options were, you know, sit homeless or I just don't know what to do. So I think there's this yeah. side where we support some of those things. And it's really like, how do we get them into better air, into better relationships and better areas of their life so that they can support themselves. I mean, it's kind of going back to this adage of teach a man to fish, you know, feed them for a lifetime, give it to them for the, you know, give it to them. You just feed them for the day. That's really, it's, if you look at it from a business perspective, you're like, well, are we giving them additional training? If your restaurant, you know, if my restaurant sucks, I would hope you'd say like, Hey, I'll help you out. Let me help you train. Let me do these things. But at the end of the day, I'm like, no, I just don't want to do it. And you're like, well, I'll just give you money then. No, you'd be like, <laughs> all right, sucker, I'm done. Yeah. Is, is there anything that can be done for somebody in one of those business models that, that doesn't want to change? Like, how can we help them? Uh, it's a challenging thing, I think, because, I mean, it's the, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. I've had some... <laughs> My mom used to have a rule in our family, you know, no worky, no eaty, you know, she called it. (laughs) And, and I always would try to win and I'd be like, I'm just going to keep, I'm not going to vacuum. I hate this stupid job. She's like, that's fine. You just don't need to eat. So I think there's a point where we don't allow people. I don't know about your life. I've hit some, (laughs) hit some very hard bottoms at different times where they've kind of made me like, I got to change how I'm thinking about this. I got to change what I'm doing. Well, if we don't allow people to get there and go, no, no one's going to keep picking you up. No one's going to keep helping you if you refuse to be helped. And there's a, so that's, I think it's a little bit of a challenge when people are refusing and you're like, well, what do we want? You know, how many people, if you thought about this as an individual level, how many people you want to keep shoveling into your house and you keep having to feed and home and clothe and all this stuff before you're like, dude, I just can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, I think the challenge is, yes, they've definitely some hard circumstances they've gone through. There's definitely some challenges, but how do we help them establish a good business model? How do we teach them the skills? I mean, that's, that's, is actually a sad reality. You grew up, it sounds like you grew up in a home with a, a mom and a dad. I did. Yep. Right. So you saw your parents negotiating, giving and taking, doing different things. You saw, here's how to be a partner, right? I don't always get my way. I'm not always going to get my way. This is, you kind of learn those realities. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of give and take in any relationship. And when somebody's not willing to give, the relationship can't work. Whether that is a romantic relationship or business or 
you know, like, like the people that are in the, the, that business model that is not self-sustaining, you know, there, there has to be, they have to be willing to give in order to, in order to actually make a change. That's, well, and, and that's the thing is if you look at a lot of people, if you were raised in a single parent household and it's, there's circumstances, I get, there's all these things that come up. So you're not trying to blame them, but it's like, there's some skills that they missed, right? There's so much of what we do as children is just through osmosis. You know, you're like, Oh, mom and dad. And I kind of want to be like dad. And I you know, like there's so many things there, but if you raised, if you were raised without another parent, there's, there's just not that example. There's not that learning. So that's where I think a lot of the, like, how do we treat, how do we teach people how to be in a partnership? You know, is divorce rate up because people just don't know how to be married. They expect it to be the, you know, I, I've heard people say, you know, I'm going to get married and it's the end of the rainbow and, or like the end of my problems. And then someone has said, like, which end, you know, like <laughs> the beginning, <laughs> right? So, so that's kind of the attitude. And there's a lot of those values and cultures you probably saw from your mom, from your dad, and you're kind of this amalgamation of it. And that's, that's, what's hard when you're raised in that different environment without a partner is you don't know how to have a partner. And yeah. I, you know, it's the same in business. If you're like, I don't, I've never had a partner. How do we do this? Like negotiation thing? Well, I don't want to do that. Do I have a tantrum? Do I attack you? Do I, you know, like that's kind of the, the difficulty I see when you're not. And that's kind of the research, frankly, that I was doing with this other guy had to do with if you, if you're raised in a family like you were, it was probably pretty easy to, oh, I'm going to go do my business. You already know what culture you need to take to your business. You know what structure to take to your business. You know the strategy because you got that. That's an easy mode for you to switch over to, relatively speaking, right. if you're willing to you know, do the hard work. But if you were raised in a house where the government was giving your parent you know, money, you're maybe like, well, do I just do nothing? Do I... <laughs> If if you're a if you're a woman, maybe you go, well, I have children and then I get more money. I see my what my mom did. Now I can do what my mom did and replicate that. If I'm a, de- a boy, then I'm like, wait a sec. Uh, I can't have children, turns out. So maybe I'll go the crime route because that's what I see. Or I think a lot of right. people also go the they go the superstar career, you know, where they're trying to be a, a Michael Jordan or a LeBron James <laughs> or, you know, a, a great singer or rapper but those chances are so low. So it's like, well, my backup, I had a, you know, a 0.1% chance of being successful. And then my backup was crime. Yeah. Happens a lot. I see it quite often. Aaron, we're, we're going on uh, about 55 minutes. What's, what's one thing you'd like to leave with us where, where we should start in creating the family flywheel or maybe some good resources that, that you have to offer. I know you have the book out there. Yeah. Where I got, can the book. Find that? got the circle on it to show that it's a cycle. That's what yeah. you're trying to do. I've got the website is the family And I have um, some resources on there to help you go through and analyze, you know, like, what are your financial goals? What are your, there's different goals. There's also different structures. So it helps you analyze both your business model and your resources and then help. You can do that with your spouse as well. Kind of get those together. Um, those are really the primary resources to help people through it. There's some blog stuff that I've done where right through some of those as well. And then if you have other questions, feel free to email me just Aaron at the family flywheel.com be more than happy to help you if I can. 
Awesome. Well, I will definitely get those links in the show notes and uh, people can connect with you and, and download those resources and definitely buy the book. All right. I appreciate your time tonight, Aaron. I enjoyed the conversation. All right. Thanks a lot, Ken. Appreciate it.